Welcome to The Breadwinners, the podcast about the never-ending hustle and its impact on all aspects of our lives. We're interested in what it takes to keep everything going. This podcast is about women, working, money, and family. We consider the research, talk to experts, and share our takes on what we're all learning about breadwinning. I'm Jennifer Owens. I write about working, wellness, and women, and founded the Working Mother Research Institute. And on most days, I'm joined by my co-host, Raquel Ellison. On this episode of The Breadwinners, I'm joined by Manar Morales, founder and CEO of Diversity and Flexibility Alliance, thinking, researching, and working with companies to create inclusive cultures that advance diversity and flexibility in the workplace. Today, I'm particularly excited to talk about an initiative she's working on to keep flexibility in the mix as we think about one day, maybe kind of returning to our office, all of which is to say, welcome. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm thrilled to be here with you today. So you are my new kindred soul, my new flexibility sister. So it's very nice to have found my long life. It's like I did 23andMe and found you. I know. <laughs> I'm super excited about it. You have 99% flexibility. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so to that end, we always uh, like to start with a stat, some sort of trend. And one we've been talking about a lot with the pandemic with flexibility is there is a Stanford economist, Nathan Bloom, that says that 42%, that that was his estimate a little while ago, but 42% of the labor force is now working from home. And that we went from, you know, something like 5% working full-time remote to everyone. And my husband will tell you that wasn't in his plan. He didn't, uh, he wasn't looking for this. And now we all are. We've had a lot of time to think about it, see what we like, don't like. We're looking forward to a day when we could return to the office. I'm kind of wondering what all of this, your membership, who they are and what they're thinking about this bizarre world we're living in right now. Yeah, it's funny when we have conversations with our members, which are primarily law firms, large companies, professional services firms, a wide range of industries across the board. A lot of our conversations will start out with saying, who would have thought that this works? And I always kind of chuckle. So like, I thought, we thought, right? I, <laughs> I did. I could have told you that this would work, but surprise flexibility works and it works well. So I think that is something that we are capitalizing on right now, right? We spent, yeah. it's funny because the last presentation I did where I had traveled, where I got to be in. Oh, where'd you go? Where was Palm your last Beach. city? Palm Ooh. Beach and the Breakers. Uh, <laughs> wow. Mine was Des Moines, Iowa. No diss, but I'd rather be in Palm Beach. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was there, I was actually presenting on the business case for flexibility to a group of leaders, uh, yeah. law firm leaders in particular. And so I thought, isn't this interesting, right? We're having this conversation and then who would have thought none of us in that room would have thought that two weeks later, right, everybody would be living it, <laughs> living it. Everybody would be having to work remote, right? Business case or no, you're going to be living it. <laughs> exactly. Right. No planning right? at the drop of a hat. Everybody yeah. went to a hundred percent remote. So I think that that was a big lesson for people to see that this actually does work. We can make it work. In fact, what normally would have been taken us a year to get a court organization, perhaps to that point of flexibility, certainly not 100%, but at least, you know, having a policy in place, people turned around and had to be productive and continue to be profitable and find ways to communicate without a lot of planning. So right. 
part of what I keep saying is imagine if you had the infrastructure and the policy and the practices all in place, imagine how much better everything would be working with flexibility. And we weren't in a pan, you know, and if we weren't in a pandemic, with right. all of the things that are happening, right? We always keep reminding people like, this isn't normal telecommuting. Like this is telecommuting yes. in a pandemic. And we, that's, you know, I, I think with that, it, like the idea of what is flexibility, like it, that's one of the, um, one of the many downsides, but that is a downside of this view of flexibility as, as it's kind of great. Everyone's getting to see what it could be, but that it's not a flexible take on flexibility. You know, there's all different forms. There's this, you know, there's, it's, it's on a spectrum. It's not an all or nothing thing that, that flexible, you know, you and I know that. But I, I do. What are they saying when they think about, ooh, what flexibility is? Has this changed their view for good, bad or indifferent of what flexible work is? You know, I think that the quick reaction is to now suddenly looking at remote work policies, right? Like that's right. what everybody is looking at. How can we incorporate telecommuting? How do we think more broadly about where telecommuting can work and what we can do long term? What I actually keep reminding companies and clients and our members about is that really we should be looking at holistic flexibility and that there are other forms of flexibility that are working in the background right now, even though telecommuting seems to be what's most prominent out there, right? Because Mm -hmm. we all have this example we've all gone virtual. But because of the pandemic, people are shifting their hours. They're working in batches, right? They're not actually Mm -hmm. working the traditional schedule because a lot of people are having to deal with kids who are home, elder care, health concerns, all of the different things that are the pandemic brings to it. So I'm saying you're actually getting a lot of different experience with different forms of flexibility that are working in the background. And we should pay attention to that as companies so that when we right. move forward, we don't just look at telecommuting because we have all just had this grand experiment in it. We actually look at holistic flexibility, shifting our hours, doing other things where you can incorporate flexibility for those positions that when you go back, perhaps remote work doesn't work, right? If I'm a receptionist, it's difficult for us to continue in a company to offer that receptionist an opportunity to work from home. But there are other ways that you could offer flexibility, shifting hours, job Mm -hmm. sharing, other forms of flexibility that you could offer that position moving forward. Right. And and do they seem receptive? Because like even I learn something new every day. And, and that's right that there are I, I've been distracted in my sense about thinking like, oh, people are just going to see like the, you know, th- that was always the knock against uh, flexible work is you'll ju- you'll never come into the office and you'll only wear your PJs. And, and you do hear that kind of chatter with the pandemic work from home and, you know, it, whatever it takes, man, just <laughs> yeah. keep it going. But I worry that it distracts from this. And you're so right. I hadn't thought that, like, of course, we're we're actually, we actually are using the other forms of flexible work uh, in many cases without really calling attention. It's like um, visible, non-visible disabilities. It's visible, non-visible flexibility right now. Yeah, there is other flexibility in the background. I, You know, I think the other lesson that we're seeing now, which is something I have always been saying prior to the pandemic, is flexibility is not a work-life balance tool. Right. A lot of times. Oh, walk me up to that line, lady. Yeah. <laughs> so I think a lot of times companies said, oh, let's, you know, we want to offer more work-life balance. So we're going to incorporate flexibility. And I, and I've always said, it's not a work-life balance tool. And people are experiencing that right now, right? People, there are people who are working 
longer hours and are exhausted and there there's no break in the day and they're working yeah. much longer and harder than they ever have. Boundaries is a work-life balance tool. Flexibility is not a work-life balance tool, right? And we have to notice that as a difference, even in organizations when we roll out work-life, when we roll out flexibility, we roll it out under a business imperative. We don't roll it out under this sort of accommodation or feeling like, oh, we're going to have greater, we're going to be a lifestyle firm or company, right? Firms, I don't want to be a lifestyle firm. If you roll out flexibility, you're not actually a lifestyle well, right, because it's all seen as an accommodation, not right. as the productivity tool and the reduction in presenteeism tool and the lowering turnover and burnout tool that it is. Yeah. And so I would say that the next level of conversation I'd like to be having is about boundaries. Right? It's not about like, do we yeah. get flexibility right? It's how do you get flexibility and make sure that you put the appropriate boundaries? I'm dealing with companies and firms that are, you know, I'm talking to people who will say, I'm having a 10 o'clock at night call put on my calendar or people are just saying, well, why don't you work on the weekend? Like, where else are you going to go? Or, I mean, the latest I heard was somebody put on a 1 a.m. conference call onto someone's calendar. And, you know, (laughs) that's not okay, right? There are are emergencies that happen. There are time differences that some people have to deal with. But absent that, like, we have to be mindful of boundaries separate and apart from the flexibility piece of it as well. Well, Raquel has talked about that we've flipped the whole idea of, you know, it used to be, you know, what's the business case for allowing any sort of flexible work? And now what's the business case for bringing people back into the office? How important is that? And why? Why are people in the office? And who's in the office? Are are your members talking that way? Or is that just us at the breadwinner? No, we are (laughs) talking about that. You know, what I've said is that I think at least with our members, a lot are looking at what a hybrid yeah, this is going to look like, right? So for our members and the clients that are in the legal industry, 100% virtual for a majority is not likely what's going to happen. A hybrid is going to happen. And when I say with the hybrid is you have to start paying attention to give an incentive to find out ways why you want to bring people back into the office. Why mm-hmm. is it good for me to be in the office? And that you look at, even when you look at your real estate, it's not about let's save on real estate costs. Actually, you have to restructure your real estate to create better collaboration spaces to make sure right. that you have opportunities for people to collaborate, spaces for people to collaborate, thinking about ways that you can bring people together and perhaps have larger spaces to do that so more people right. can come together. But to pay attention to that culture of, yes, we need to be thinking about how do we make sure that coming to the office is going to give us value. Because I also talk about the fact that you know a lot of people, frankly, were telecommuting from the office. And what I mean by that is, yes, what's that? (laughs) They're coming into the office and they would go into their office and they would shut the door and they were not, you know, they were not interacting with people, even people who were down the hall or, you know, in a floor below, they would pick up the phone and call them. They weren't actually doing what you want to see people Uh, when they were in the office. And yet they get away with it, right? Like companies and firms don't really talk about that as much. For sure. Right. So it's not about just telecommuting. It's about putting, placing a value on developing relationships, on interactions, on being able to collaborate, being able to come together and make sure that when people are in the office, they're doing that, but also pay attention to the ways in which people can do that still remotely, right? The the only way to collaborate isn't just by being in the office face to face. Right. Oh, I, uh, you know, I, 
this is a story I, I tell people all the time, but I interviewed for a job and it was very early on in the open concept where it's just one long desk and everyone's sitting shoulder to shoulder. And it just, it horrifies me. I, I have a firm belief, it, belief that people need some privacy, especially in the creative fields, to concentrate, in, you know, and the like. So I saw that not knowing that the whole world was going to become, that was going to be the hipster office layout soon. But we're walking around the office and the interviewer says to me, you know, so what, you know, do you have any concerns, of, you know, if you came, joined us? And I said, yeah, that I'd be too loud. <laughs> Just a loud person. She said, oh, no, no, it's okay. Everyone instant messages each other. That's how they keep in contact. Yes. So you're telling me you did this whole thing with this whole, and, and they had all these tiny office. People were desperate for privacy for conversations, for what is that? Then then that's not collaboration. Right. I could be doing that from Brooklyn to Austin, Texas. We could be IMing each other. It, like, yeah, everybody was hunched over. Now it's DMing or, you know, texting each other. But as I date myself, but yes, they were, they were instant messaging each other. Right. To, so, to, they were so they were telecommunicating. The yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, oh, yeah. So yes, I, it's, it's really is, it's being thoughtful about, why are they there? And what do we hope to get from people being there when they're there? You know? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, well, and giving that, giving people the flexibility to choose yeah. in some ways, right? It's, I keep saying it's flexible flexibility. Yes. We want to make sure that people have the options and have the ability to decide, you know, this is the time where I need to come in for certain things, but then these are the times I'm much more effective if I can work uninterrupted. Sometimes we yeah. don't have uninterrupted time unless we work in some ways. Amen. Yes. Right. Or it used to be that way. Now my husband will tell you that it's just all interrupted time and he's working from home because he's got, you know, two teens, two cats, a wife. It'd be funny if I had two wives, two cats, right. two, but everybody, it seems like two wives because she always has something to say. I don't know. She's a chatty Kathy, that woman. Oh my gosh. Well, so thinking about, you know, you're already thinking ahead, like, what are these initiatives that you're working on and to get people thinking about, okay, we don't just all drop this on the corner as we, you know, we stroll in confidently into our offices post pandemic. Yeah. For us, we're focusing on the future of work. So we're launching an initiative work-life recalibrated, which is how do we make sure we leverage the lessons from the pandemic, right? It's not about, I mean, people keep talking about, you know, we, we want to get back to normal. We want to get back to the status quo. And I keep saying there's lots of parts of the status quo that are not worth returning to. Like, let's be very clear about that. Yeah. And that we need to be looking about how do we move forward rather than going backward? How do we think about all of the lessons that we have learned in the amount of flexibility that we were able to offer. What did we gain? What's worked? A lot of people, a lot of our members and our, our clients are talking about, you know, where efficiencies have been gained, where we, they were able to do things in a way that they weren't able to do in the past or make changes in ways that they weren't able to do in the past. So I think or to do it right, it takes some planning. And so I've, mm -hmm. I've been advising everybody, you need the task force now to think about what does the future of work look like? Because in order to create the kind of change in culture, the kind of infrastructure, the kind of policies, the practices, right? Make sure that people are have the right mindset about this. That takes time and planning. It's been working because it's been short term. Short term, right? right now, nine right. months seems more long yeah. term, but, <laughs> but we all see this as temporary, right? Exactly. That, yeah, it's seen as temporary versus you know 
you need to think about all of the different things you need to make changes. We've already talked about, you know, perhaps how you need to reconfigure your spaces so that there's more collaboration, there's time for people to come in. But also, how do you need to invest in technology in a hybrid situation where people feel like they're there? Right? They feel yeah, like it's seamless. Yeah. It makes it seamless when there there are you have some people who are working remotely and some people who are in the office. But also, how do you make sure that people have the right training and tools and resources? I think the biggest mistake we used to see was that people would think that flexibility was all about just pushing the button and sending out a policy, right? Like if we rolled out mm. this policy, this was going to work. And that's all we right. needed to do. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. you know, kind of crafting the policy is just step one. All of the <laughs> things that you need to make in place to actually implement that. So it's not stigmatized. So people don't feel like they're penalized if they take advantage of it. Right. Building accountability. Or penalizing the, the manager who won't go with the policy that, you know, I've seen that in action. Oh, that just, you know, chaps. I, you need to do is if you're going to roll out a policy, there has to be a level of accountability around it. Yeah. We call those where we see the cultures where they roll out a policy. We have the paper policy cultures that we see. Mm-hmm. That's where it's handed out with a wink and a nod is career suicide. Uh, if you take advantage of it, but then right, right. leader specific policies. And the problem with the leader specific cultures is that you have pockets of resistance and you have pockets of acceptance and pockets of success. And what you want to do is you want to bring it all together where you are, if you if you start from the premise that it is a business imperative, you wouldn't mm-hmm. leave a business imperative up to the whim of the individual manager. But you would say as a company, we believe that we had a benefit from this and we invested in the infrastructure to support it. Therefore, we expect leaders to support yeah what we're doing. Right. Finding a way to make it work, but we can't, if we just leave it up to the individual whim and it's based upon, you know, did I win the boss lottery and I get to do this? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a problem. And so we're talking about, you know, you have to bring into line people, policies, and practices and make it all work together. And that's super easy. So we're all done. So yay. (laughs) (laughs) That takes a lot of time and a bigger investment. And I say, this is about shifting the culture. Right? We talk about a flex success culture. That's about shifting the culture. And yep. that does take time to do, but it's worth it in the end. For sure. Right, it's worth it. And it and it I was just reading today that the chief of diversity for Coca-Cola, which had had a big diversity lawsuit, and I, I think it was decided in 2000, they became kind of the success story in the, in the early part of the century of like really kind of accepting what they had done wrong. And losing the suit, making changes, and now 20 years later saying, we took our eye off the ball. It's time for us to recommit and to the efforts that we made as diversity leaders. And I think the same is true with flexibility, you know, like with these tools, you got to keep them sharp. Yeah, no, absolutely. And pay attention to when something's not working to make sure you classify it correctly, right? So a lot of times people will say, well, flexibility didn't work because you know, people weren't working or we didn't see yeah. kind of productivity. I'm like, those are actually not flexibility problems. Those are performance no. problems. And, right. if you, and they need to be handled as performance issues. The problem is you were not, and companies, right, they took their eye off the ball. They weren't, when, so when pe- people's performance dipped, right. they assumed it was because of flexibility. They blamed flexibility. But I'm like, there are lots of reasons why that person probably wasn't performing and you should have addressed it as such. Yeah, you, you didn't. You didn't blame his computer. 
You didn't blame, you know, the your PTO policy. You didn't blame somehow yeah. flexibility is always to blame yes. when, for productivity issues. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Those are performance issues. Treat them as such. They're not flexibility right. issues. Well, you and I were in meeting and realizing we were flex sisters. Is yes. that something? Is that our new phrase? I think <laughs> I think maybe. I don't know. But somebody will somebody will write in and say, No, that's not the that's not the term. Kindred flex spirits. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so, you know, I have my, my story of like why flexible work became a passion of mine. It's it, these things start very personally. So yeah. I'm wondering, like, how did you come to, to create the, the, the alliance? How did you come to, to come to care? Yeah. So I was a litigator uh, and I had my first son and I thought, you know, before having, I always tell women before having, before having a baby, I'm like, don't make any decisions right, until you actually have the child and then see how you're going to feel. Oh, I know. Oh, because yes. When I was pregnant, I thought, well, you don't know, I'm going to keep working. It's not going to be an issue. And then I had the, I had our, um, I had my baby and I was like, oh, okay. Oh, wait. <laughs> So for a couple of reasons, right, I had decided that, you know, I really am passionate about litigating, but I, I want to do it on a reduced hour schedule. And there wasn't a whole lot of opportunities at the time for that. It was going to be more about... It just makes me laugh. Like, why? Why yeah. are there not opportunities? Why is the number of hours somehow you know, a ratio to your ability, your skill yeah. and your experience? Like, why? What's the... I'm and sorry. I'm just say, angry. <laughs> no, I know. Well, you know, and at the time that I was saying is that I'm not part time to my clients. Yeah. I'm 100%. I would be 100% to my clients, but done right, I should have fewer of them. Right. So it's yeah. not exactly that I'm, you know, say I'm going to only put 50% effort into writing this brief. Right. I'm going to be putting 100% effort into writing this brief. I'll have fewer briefs to write over a period of time. But for whatever reason, so I decided to quit and spent a couple of months looking at um, different things and then eventually became of counsel at a firm where I could continue to do the kind of work that I wanted to do on a reduced hour schedule. And then I taught at Georgetown and I pulled together a number of different things to the point where people would walk up to me and say, you know, women would walk up to me and say, if I could have done it the way that you did it, I would have huh. stayed. Yeah. And I decided, well, what, why not? Right? Why, yeah, why can't we create a profession? Why am I a token in this regard? Right? Yeah. Why am I my singular? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I, there's nothing special about what I did. And so I started to look at what was happening to women. And then you know, fast forward, two more boys later. So I have three three kids. <laughs> decided that that overachiever you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, who are now 19, 16, and 13. So that you could tell, like 19 years ago was when I was first having these conversations around this. Yeah. But it really began to be like, you know, I really do think we need to think about the business case, making sure that firms and companies are able to do this and able to do it successfully. But also, you know, part of it is, and with the work-life recalibrated initiative, is not also just looking what firms and companies are doing, but also I hope that there's a step back for women to look at how can I recalibrate? What are the things that I want? Right? Oh, yeah. What are the things that I think I can achieve? I, I always say, I actually do think women can have it all. I just think that <laughs> what your all is, is different from yep. my all. And that everybody, I always say, our all is as unique as our fingerprint, right? Like that yep. It is based upon what you believe your all needs to be. <laughs> yeah. Define it however you want to define it, but don't let somebody else define. Like in order for it to be all, you have to work and you have to do this and you have to do this. I'm like, let's, let's figure out 
how you want to be successful in whatever that means to you. And then we yeah. can all accomplish that, right? That's we can be flexible in our view on on ambition and success, and and because you know my view of being a reporter as a fifth grader was a little different. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, right? Exactly. We have to recalibrate success. I keep actually yeah. as we've been doing a lot of what we work on is both the organizational solutions and the individual strategies. And with the individual strategies, I've been saying is that we can't keep the same definition of success pre-pandemic that we had for ourselves coming into the pandemic in terms of whatever role we're playing. Like mm-hmm. we define what success during this time looks like for you. If you're a mom, if you're a, you know, a partner, if you're a, you know, a wife, whatever it is that you are thinking, sort of think about how do you redefine success? What does your professional success mean to you? But I yeah. think a lot of times we take people were coming into this pandemic and saying, I still need to do all of these things. And I was yep. like, that's impossible. We're in a pandemic. Like, you yeah. And I, I think many of, of, of us have realized that and keep realizing it and aren't quite sure what to do with that realization. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I keep saying it's a, just give ourselves some grace, right? Like we can, yep. we can, we can have some grit and grace during this period of time and get us through in terms of the kind of things that we want to accomplish, but also just grace for the fact that this is a really hard time. And there's a lot that we, the only two things we can control right now are our mindset and our actions. And so work on figuring that out in a way that gets us to where we need to be. Oh, Well, on that note, I say thank you for joining the Breadwinners this week. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for our continued conversations, too. I'm happy happy we found each other. (laughs) So our guest today was Manar Morales of the Diversity and Flexibility Alliance. You will find links to what we discussed today in the episode description. You can email us anytime at thebreadwinnerspod at gmail.com or visit us at thebreadwinnerspodcast.com. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review it. It really helps us grow. And until next week, keep hustling. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.